Sorry, I'm out of breath. I knew you were meeting here tonight. When the trial and the flogging were over, they took Jesus to a place called Calvary. Some call it Golgotha, the place of the skull. They fastened a heavy wooden crossbeam and he carried it on his shoulders. And he walked, following the guards, through the streets of Jerusalem. And with each step, it seemed that beaten as he was, bloodied as he was, his feet fell heavier and heavier. And then he fell. People gasped. When he fell a second time, some of the guards pushed a man from the crowd into the center of the roadway. Some said his name was Simon, and they forced him to come alongside Jesus and to help him carry that cross. And there they were, side by side, matching every stride, sharing each other's sweat, sharing each other's tears, and both of them sharing Jesus' blood that was everywhere. And they marched on the pathway through the city. Jerusalem will never be the same. And they took him outside the city gates, and then the two of them slowly walked their way up the hill to Golgotha. It's an awful place. Nothing good ever happens on Golgotha. You look at it with those eyes dug out of the cliff staring out at you, and you know it's the place of death where crucifixion after crucifixion has happened before. When they got to the top of the hill, I don't know if Jesus fell down or if they threw him down, but the, the crossbeam hit the hard ground with a thud. I lost sight of Simon. I don't know if he ran from that place or he got lost in the crowd, but could see him no more. And then they took that crossbeam and they fastened it to a, a vertical, larger post. And they threw him down on these two pieces of wood that were now fastened together. And they took nails, large spikes really, and they put one at the base of his hand and the top of his wrist, right where all of those veins and nerves come together, and they pounded it through and fastened it to one side of the cross. And then they took his other hand and they fastened it to the other side of the cross. And another one of those spikes went through both of his feet. Watching it was agony. And then all the soldiers in that detail came together and they picked up that heavy wooden cross with his body on it and they lifted it into the air and they dropped it into a hole that had already been dug. And they filled the rest of the hole with rocks. And when they dropped it into that ground, you could hear the thud and you could feel just the tearing at Jesus 
from the nails. And they crucified him there. It was just as we feared. It was just as Jesus had forewarned. And it was slow. And it was full of agony. When the weight of his body would begin to pull down, it would tear at those nails at the top of his wrists. And his shoulders soon became out of joint, putting more and more pressure on his chest and his lungs, and you could see him fighting for every breath. And when breathing got too hard, he would try to push up with his feet, but then the spike through his feet would tear at that flesh too. And there was no relief. It was one or the other in this back-and-forth game of torture. And there Jesus hung. Not only was he being crucified, but he was being crucified before a crowd. Some people gathered to see the spectacle. Some were the same people that had been calling out his name and calling for the Romans to crucify him early in the day. And now they too had climbed the hill and they'd gathered in that site. Some of the leaders mocked him and they spat at him and they would call out, if you're really the Christ, then, then save yourself and come down from that cross. He didn't answer back. And then another place in the crowd, there was John. And John was consoling Mary, the mother of Jesus. I looked and I looked and I couldn't find Peter. I couldn't find any of the other disciples. And then I saw Mary of Magdala and she was on the other side of Jesus' mother and Mary's sister who was married to Clopas was there as well. And these women stood with such courage, silently witnessing, taking in everything that they saw, everything that they heard. And then I looked at the base of the cross. There were, there were soldiers. And, and they, they were gambling over who would get his clothing. And then some of them called out too. If you're really the king of the Jews, then come down off that cross and save yourself. And they made it a game. One of them took some bitter wine vinegar and they put it on a sponge and then put the sponge on the tip of a spear and they, they hoisted the spear up to him and offered him some. And he, he took one taste and he, he wouldn't drink it. it. must have tasted awful and he's so thirsty. And, and then another got an idea and they, they put a ladder up to the cross. And he's leaning over Jesus and he, he tacks up this sign over his head that says, here is the king of the Jews. And they mocked him all the more. Not only was there the crucifixion and the cross and the crowd, 
But then there was a, a cry that he let out. First cry was, as they were mocking him and as, over the, as they were gambling over his clothing, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. A while later, there was another cry. At about noontime, dark clouds rolled in and they covered the sun and all of a sudden, in the middle of the day, it was as black as can be. And Jesus cried out at one point in Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some people got confused. They, they heard that word, Eloi, and they thought he was calling for Elijah. And so some said, he, you know, he's calling out for one of the prophets, and maybe he's out of his mind. And, and then I heard a whisper, it was almost like a chant from another part of the crowd where there was a, a group of those who were faithful followers of Jesus. And they remembered the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me as the opening line of the 22nd Psalm. Having memorized it, they started to call out some of the themes from that Psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? All my bones are out of joint. My roof sticks, my, my mouth sticks to the roof of my mouth. They've pierced my hands and my feet. And those final words, he has done it. And I was amazed at this group of people who, who knew the psalm and how the psalm referred to what they were seeing and that Jesus had started all of this himself as he hung there on the cross. But of all the people there, there are two people that I will remember. First was the criminal. There were two criminals hung on either side of him and one of them began to mock Jesus. He hurled many insults, but along the way he said, if you're really the Son of God, then save yourself and save us too. But he's not the one I'll remember. It was the other one who spoke up and he did something unimaginable. He called out the first criminal. He said, don't you fear God? We're getting what we deserved. But this man has done nothing wrong. I wondered what he'd seen. Maybe he'd seen the way that Jesus didn't fight back when they beat him. Maybe he had seen the way that Jesus didn't call back when they insulted him. Maybe they had seen the way that Jesus' friends and family members loved him. Maybe he had been there earlier when Pilate had asked, they say you're a king, are you a king then? And he said, my kingdom is not of this world. 
Oh, so you are a king then. Maybe he had seen when the soldiers had draped him with that purple cloth as they beat him and mocked him all the more and bowed before him. And something unthinkable then took place. Here's Jesus, and here's this criminal on the other side, both high up on crosses, both suffering in pain, Jesus miserably so. And the criminal looks over at him and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looks over at him and replies, Truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Who says things like that? Who has the presence of mind in the midst of unimaginable suffering to offer somebody else words of hope and healing and a future? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Who forgives the people who put him on the cross in that moment. Not only was there the criminal, but there was also the centurion. As the ninth hour approached, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, I commend to you my spirit. And he breathed his last. And the centurion, the man that, who was in charge of that entire crucifixion detail, none of whom who wanted to be there, who'd probably seen scenes like this hundreds of times, he looks up at Jesus and he says, surely this was a righteous man. Some thought they heard him say, surely this was the Son of God. And that's Jesus. Right until his last breath, and even a measure beyond, leading people into the hope of grace, leading people to faith, calling them with his behavior. As he hung there, I thought, of the words that John the Baptist had spoken years earlier. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I wondered, what kind of sins did Jesus carry on that cross? Was it just a man that was nailed there, or was there more? After a while, they, they were sure he was dead. He breathed his last. He wasn't moving. A soldier took a spear and pierced his side, and blood and water came pouring out as that sack around the heart was torn, and they knew that he was gone. 
And Joseph of Arimathea and his friend Nicodemus, both Pharisees, went to Pilate and they asked for the body. And Joseph said that he would put him in a cave into his own tomb that had never been used. And Pilate gave them permission. Truth is, they didn't want Jesus hanging on the cross any longer. This night was the beginning of Passover. And people were flocking into the city, bringing their lambs for the Passover sacrifice. And there'd been talk about Jesus that he'd promised that he would come back on the third day. And there was more talk that this man Lazarus had been risen. And the last thing that the leaders of the city wanted was another Lazarus event. An another live man after he dies coming back. And so they gave Joseph permission to take down the body. And he laid Jesus in the tomb. And they took a large stone and they closed it up over the entrance of the tomb. And now there are guards standing there, Roman guards, making sure that no one will steal the body, that no one will interfere on this day, that the holiday will happen in peace now that Jesus is dead. And I keep coming back to this thought of John's words that Jesus is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And the very day that people come to celebrate Passover, bringing their own lambs as a substitute for their sin. And because all these things have happened, I'm wondering what will happen on the third day? What will happen after we've gone through the night and we've gone through the next day? Could it be possible that our Jesus will return, that our Jesus will rise again? I don't know what you do with all of this information, but I had to come and tell you what I saw because I am more convinced than ever that he's the Lamb of God who's taken my sins from you. Let's wait to the third day. And what will you do with what you've heard and what we found.